Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more podcasts and more information on your number one news and talk station, please visit 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za. Stand up for the law. Stand up for decency. Stand up for compassion. Stand up for respect. Stand up for your community. Stand up for your future. Stand up for South Africa. Lead SA. .co.za The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clubby. It is 27 minutes to 10 o'clock and uh, let's welcome Chris. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Reedy. Are you well today? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Okay, lovely to have you with us. I understand you have a story for us about radio cells. What's that about? Oh, this is radio-controlled cells. Okay. But before I go on, can I ask a favour? Yes, of course. I'm getting myself back very loudly. That's better. Thank you very oh, much. Better. Okay. okay, here we go. So, there is a paper this week, and it is by researchers at the Rockefeller University. This is Sarah Stanley in New York. It's published in the journal Science. And what these researchers have been able to do is to make cells effectively radio-controlled. In other words, you can make them respond to radio signals by changing their biochemistry. So here's how they did it. They started with a little temperature-sensing molecule called TRP, TRIP-V1, which you find on nerve cells. It's how you tell what temperature your bath water is, for example. When you put your hand in the warm water, this little molecule changes its activity, and it passes that change in activity onto the nerve cell, and you can work out the temperature. So they started with that molecule. They added to the surface of it a little chemical tag, and they then added a whole bunch of iron nanoparticles, which are just tiny fragments of iron oxide, to which they had linked an antibody that recognised this tag on this molecule. Mm -hmm. So that when you sprinkled these iron nanoparticles on cells that were making this trip molecule, the nanoparticles would stick to the temperature-sensing molecule. Now, the reason for doing this is that the iron nanoparticles absorb radio waves, and when they absorb radio waves, and in this case they're absorbing radio waves at about 465 kilohertz, so quite low-frequency radio waves, they warm up. And what the researchers were able to show is that when they zapped cells in the dish with these radio waves, they were able to warm the sensor up by about one degree C, and this made it change its activity, and this made the cell change activity. And they then went a step further, because when these channels become active, they let calcium go into the cell. So they said, well, if we've got calcium going into the cell, can we make the calcium do something? 
So they made a little sequence of DNA that had a whole bunch of sequences which are called calcium response elements. They're like genetic switches that can detect when calcium levels go up or down. And they linked that to the insulin gene. Mm -hmm. And by zapping the cells with radio waves, they were then able to turn on expression of insulin in these cells, the chemical that controls blood sugar. And then they go an, a bigger step further, which is they put clusters of these cells into mice and they then beam the radio waves into the mice and they can see the mouse glucose levels going up and down with the radio wave signals. So what they've effectively done is to enable us to control from outside the body the biochemical activity of cells inside the body. And it's really striking and, and a big step forward this because up until now people have tried to do this with chemicals that detect visible light, but of course visible light and even infrared light can only penetrate a short distance into tissue. Radio waves will pass right through tissue and they will also do it harmlessly. So this is a really big step forward and, and a great way in the future of controlling tissues deep inside bodies potentially. Mm-hmm. All right, our lines are open for for you. Whatever it is that you want to ask the naked scientists this morning, do give us a call on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. Let's go to Anne. Anne, you are calling us from Centurion. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, really. Good morning, uh, Chris. A quick one. Mm-hmm. As you get older, I know your skin loses its elasticity, right? So when uh, your skin, so when you go around corners, you're working in the garden or anywhere, you knock your skin, and then I think to myself, oh, Anne, not a another blue mark and you get a blue mark but it disappears in maybe about three or four you know seven days time why is that because sometimes i really knock myself and i think oh look again look at the blue marks (laughs) why is it and i've been told it's, it's a sign of your blood being thin and i reckon no i don't think so can Chris help me out there? <laughs> okay, thanks. Hi, Anne. I listen to the radio. Love <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, Good question. Well, what you're doing, of course, is bruising yourself. So you need to be more careful. But when you bruise yourself, you are injuring blood vessels. If you injure blood vessels, then they leak a little bit, and blood comes out into the tissue. When blood is in your blood vessels, it contains a relatively high amount of oxygen. And when the blood is oxygenated, it is a brighter red colour than when it is deoxygenated. It loses oxygen. So once the blood leaves the blood vessel, tissue around the blood starts to consume the oxygen from it, and haemoglobin goes a darker and darker colour as it loses its oxygen. So the blood that's in the bruise darkens partly because the haemoglobin has been deoxygenated and it looks a blue colour. So that's the first purpley blue hue that you get when you bruise yourself. And then the subsequent colour changes that happen in a bruise, you're almost doing chromatography experiments in your skin because the immune system comes in and macrophages, these big eating up cells, break down the blood that exited the blood vessel and they oxidise or reduce various chemicals as they break open the haemoglobin molecules and release the iron and that kind of thing and the the products of those breakdown reactions are greeny yellow colors because they're biliverdin and bilirubin and they then spread out in the tissue and that's why the bruise changes color the reason you probably bruise more readily as you get older is because your skin gets thinner and as Anne says you lose some of the elastic tissue the elastin and also the collagen and thinner skin means that you are when you put energy into the skin from a knock or a scrape you've got fewer areas in the skin to dissipate the energy because you've got thinner skin and therefore it's like having smaller buffers or a smaller buffer zone to absorb the shock or the impact so more of the energy is more likely to be transmitted to small blood vessels and cause them 
them to bleed. Also, older people may put themselves on low doses of aspirin or be given aspirin by their doctor because they are at risk of, say, uh, a stroke or um, a heart attack. And aspirin also reduces the clotting ability of blood, and so you're more likely to bruise more easily if you take aspirin. And that may be the reason. Let's go to Judy in Midrand. Good morning. Hi, Chris. I've just come back from Spain and I noticed that some windmills turn clockwise and others turn anti-clockwise. Is there any reason for that? Okay. Is this some um, wind turbines or uh, the kind of windmills that grind up flour, Judy? The wind turbine, the actual turbine. Yeah, um, I, I don't think that there's any reason why they have to go one way or the other, apart from just the convention and the engineering. If you look at the shape of the blades, the way a turbine works is that the blades present a leading surface into the wind, and as the air hits that, it's got two options. It can either bounce back the way it's come, which is obviously daft, or it can flow across the blade, sticking to the curved surface by the coander effect. And if you make the air push well what the blade is doing is pushing the air to one side to go around the blade and so the air because of newton's laws pushes back on the blade giving it a nudge and the shape of the blade therefore dictates which way you push the air and therefore which way the air pushes back on you and because it's easier to buy massive numbers of turbines that are made one way and made to rotate one way, then the convention is most people probably have them going in a certain direction. But different makers can make them so the blades are pointing in the other direction, so they'll just turn the other way. It won't make any difference because on the back of those turbines is a big uh, axle or a, a sort of central uh, core which runs through into a dynamo or an alternator on the back and it, and it spins that through a gearbox and generates energy or electricity. I um, shouldn't say generates energy, naughty, mm. naughty. It generates electricity and that is then fed into the grid. And th th that goes through rectification and, and all kinds of, um, of systems to make sure it's in sync with the grid and, and at the right frequency and polarity and everything anyway. So it doesn't really matter which way they spin. It's the fact they're spinning and therefore extracting some energy from the moving air and turning it into electricity. That's what the important thing is. Chris, I don't know if you saw the story of a tanning fanatic, Patricia Kentrell from New Jersey, who's addicted to tanning. I mean, she, when <coughs> Robbie said earlier that she now looks like a burnt piece of toast. She, oh I, dear. I, I'll send you the picture. It's just absolutely incredible. Now, she has. Has John Robbie got a good lawyer? I hope so. <laughs> the Americans are a bit litigious, aren't they? <laughs> oh, shouldn't I? That's naughty. I'm stereotyping oh, American look what people you're and doing. saying that they engage lawyers all the time. They yeah. wouldn't do a thing like that, I'm sure. I mean, Chris. She is chocolate brown. I cannot describe. <laughs> she looks like dark chocolate. And her hair is still blonde. You're laughing. <laughs> is it, do, you think, do you think she's a natural blonde? <laughs> I know the answer to that one. But anyway, Chris, she has a tanning booth at home. So that's why she, she's become like this. There's a big furore because she allowed her little girl, six years old, to spend some time in the tanning booth and the teacher at school got concerned after the child came to school with with burnt uh, marks and so on and called the police. Now, to cut a long story short, there, there's outrage over this and she's being charged with uh, child uh, uh, negligence. I've got a couple of questions stemming from that. I mean, that level of tanning, I want to know how these tanning beds or booths actually work how are they different from the sun and a child's exposure to something like this i imagine that the, a child's skin would have a, a, a less um a, a resilience against whatever whatever damage comes from this um i think you're probably right on that latter count but how do they work well the answer is that they have uh, uv lamps 
So usually they use mercury, these lamps, and you put electricity in, and a bit like the strip light you have in your ceiling, you have mercury at a low pressure inside. The electricity excites the mercury atoms, and it makes them emit ultraviolet light. When you give energy to different atoms, then they give the energy back out at certain colours or wavelengths of light, and in the case of mercury, it emits ultraviolet. And if you have a normal fluorescent light, then the glass is a white frosted colour because that coating is a special what's called phosphor and when the ultraviolet light hits it, it's then converted by these phosphors into a range of different coloured lights which when mixed together look white to us and that's harmless. If you don't put the phosphor on the lamp and you have the right kind of glass, then the ultraviolet rays can come out from the lamp and they go into the air and depending upon the wavelength of the ultraviolet rays, um, with longer ones going further and shorter ones going less far because they have more energy and interact with things sooner. Um, you can therefore expose things to ultraviolet and the way these tanning booths work is that they use an array of these tubes which are basically basting you in ultraviolet radiation. Um, I'm not sure of the spectrum in terms of uh, with how much of the shorter and how much of the relatively longer wavelengths they use. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is you're exposing your skin to ultraviolet rays and the melanocytes, which are the cells in the skin that make melanin, the brown pigment, they have chemicals in them which can detect, in the same way that your eye detects visible light, they have chemicals called uh, melan... Uh, I think they use... Mel is it melanopsin or they have a rhodopsin-like chemical, the same colour as um, the same chemical that you use in the eye to turn light waves into electrical nerve signals. And so these cells can detect the presence of ultraviolet. And in response to that detection, they then trigger the gene which increases the production of melanin. So the cells make more melanin into the skin and that makes you go brown. The problem is that before you go brown, if you haven't got a basal tan already, the dose that your skin sees of the ultraviolet can be quite high and the ultraviolet rays uh, are potentially uh, able to damage DNA because they have enough energy in the light light waves that they can rip apart DNA molecules and if you do that then you can injure cells. And the uh, important point here is that the energy going into the skin actually causes inflammation and the reason you get sunburn is because the skin effectively becomes inflamed and that's a localized inflammation response in the skin. You, you, it's the same effectively as having been burned with hot water. Very painful of course mm. but, but potentially deleterious to your DNA and young people are far more vulnerable than older people and they're, when I was in Australia they're very aware of this because of course half the Australian continent lies under this enormous hole in the ozone layer and uh, there was a headline in the newspaper that a, a friend of mine who is a press officer for the SunSmart campaign in Australia, she wrote and she said, you know, these sunbeds are an unregulated industry mm -hmm. and the power of the um, sunbed can be five times more intense oh. than the noonday sun on an Australian beach. Now, Australia is at a similar latitude to South Africa, so, uh, you know, if you, if you read laying, lay, you know, laying on the beach on the Eastern Cape on some of those lovely beaches, the, the input of UV that you could be seeing there mm. if you have pale mm. skin and you're not protected by a, a good level of sunblock is going to be maybe up to five times higher than you'd get from the sun. And so the potential damage and the aging effect on your skin is therefore going to be significantly higher. So it is a risk and kids I don't think should go near these things. I think they're very bad news. Phew, I, I'm definitely sending you this picture, Chris, and I want your response to it. Imagine dark chocolate, and I'm not exaggerating. Let's go to... If anyone, I'll tell you what, just to tell yeah. you this, really, that if anyone wants to see an interesting picture, uh, look up man 
with Argyria, A-R-G-Y-R-I-A, Argyria. There's a picture of a bloke, I'm not kidding, he looks like a smurf, you know, those blue cartoon characters. It was a gentleman, again in America, funnily enough, can't think why. Um, he had this penchant for eating silver, and he was electrolyzing, he was putting silver into a solution and passing electricity into it to make the silver dissolve oh into the solution and then drinking it. And the silver has built up in his skin, because that's where the silver goes, and it's oxidized into this blue color. And he's gone from a very normal looking person to this, uh, he's, he's blue, and he's permanently blue. So look him up, you can, you you can find his details if you type him into a search engine. I'm not kidding. Addictions are a fascinating topic. I mean, what makes somebody just cross boundaries and go that far? Maybe that's a topic for another day. Charles in Rustenburg. Hi, Rudy. Hi, mm. Chris. Um, Chris, I know that you've, you've uh, addressed the topic before of ozone use, and, and basically I think you only address breathing it in. The question I wanted to pose to you, there are practitioners um, around South Africa who are Using ozone, uh, 2% ozone, 97% uh, oxygen, medical grade oxygen, and then putting it through the, uh, intravenously into, into people at about 2 milliliters per minute. And, 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 and the base behind it all is curing viruses and bacteria because it's an anaerobic environment that they grow in. And therefore they're now oxid uh, oxygenating it and, and, and killing it. And there are various stories of cures of, 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 of AIDS and all sorts of things. I wanted to know from you, whether this, in fact, could be true or not. Hello, Charles. Um, it, it sounds extremely dubious to me. Mm -hmm. Ozone is very, very poisonous. In fact, the water treatment people who are taking water from a reservoir and then putting it in a pipe to people's houses use ozone or chlorine because they are both oxidizing agents capable of killing microorganisms. And... The, the reason they use them and the reason that microorganisms are more vulnerable than we are is because they're very tiny and so the relative concentration of the ozone that they see in the water or the chlorine because they're working the same way is effectively much higher and it just destroys them. So were you exposed to a similarly high dose it would oxidize your tissues. Oxygen is poisonous and we just about survive at the right level here on earth if we have too much oxygen then it, be it becomes actually highly toxic and it begins to form oxygen free radicals and it oxidizes your tissues oxidizes your lipids and your dna and uh, puts you on the path to cancer so we can't live without oxygen but too much of it's a bad thing too and if you turn it into ozone this is even more oxidizing and very reactive and i think um th there's no reason to think that it would benefit you having that intravenously um i can't think of a reason why i certainly haven't seen any good quality clinical trials and, and uh, if it were that simple being cheap as it is i think western medicine would have embraced that in every hospital in the world um because it would be the cheapest cure known to man and the fact they don't do that says i don't think there's any good quality clinical evidence to support doing that sounds quite dangerous but if anyone knows any information to the contrary then please do send it to me i'll be happy to review it absolutely is it Corsi or Corsi in brighton Corsi in brighton hey? it's Corsi. Yeah, i beg your pardon good morning Please, I'd like to just get that word that uh, Chris said now about the guy with silver. Oh, yes, is Algeria. I'll tell you what I'll do. I will Think of Algeria. I'll tweet it. Uh, no, no, not Algerian. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, South Sibylla. Yeah. If, you, if you follow um, us on Twitter, either Dr. Chris Smith or Naked Scientists on Twitter, I will tweet the link to this and everyone can um, look at it. I'll do it um, just after, after the, the end of the show so that uh, if you follow now, I will tweet it to you all and then you can get the link. Excellent. Okay, great. My, my question is around, because this is particular resonance with the question I want to ask, because it's about pica. Pica? I want to know, yes. Okay. 
Um, I want to know what is the relationship between the particular type of pica and a particular physiological deficiency. And the reason I'm asking um, pica is that craving for non-food stuff is that I have a particular craving for the past at least four years for chalk. And Ooh. I know that it's, it's linked to um, iron deficiency is what I've been told. I've been taking iron deficient. I've been taking iron tablets, and my iron levels have gone up because I'm a blood donor. So I get uh, turned away many times because it's too low. <laughs> I've recently taken uh, tablets, and it's gone up, but the craving still remains. So, what is in the particular uh, craving? Because people, some people, it's soil. Somebody said they inhale petrol from a, you know, um, thing. Oh. So it's all different type, types of things. And, and okay. what is in that? substance that you crave that links to any particular um, deficiency and in my Okay, all right, Cosi. I think we get we get the story. Uh, okay, Cosi. It's a very interesting question. Um, the question of the, these pika funny eating disorders or fads where you feel compelled to eat something. When she first said iron deficiency, I thought she might mention ice because someone talked to us yes, about a year ago here on 702 yeah. and said, um, why do I crunch ice? And then someone volunteered the association between crunching ice and iron deficiency and we speculated that it might be because iron deficiency causes a sore mouth it causes mm. soreness at the corners of the mouth and on the tongue glossitis and maybe the ice makes that feel better um we don't know what causes these pica there are certain disorders and developmental disorders which are associated with them so that 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 argues there's probably a cognitive element but i also asked a, a gentleman called peter brennan who is an expert on how the smell system works he's at bristol university in the uk and I said to him, why is it that, that people, when they are pregnant, often claim that they develop cravings for certain foodstuffs? And he said, it's interesting because what we think is going on is that the woman's body uh, is making sure that it isn't deficient in a micronutrient, similar to what Corsi was arguing, and by giving you a craving for certain things, it's making you eat things that may contain the thing that is missing at a certain level in order to make up the shortfall. Whether that's uh, really sustained by people wanting to, as they say they do, eat coal and things like that because people claim to eat all kinds of things or get cravings for all kinds of weird things um, at various times, whether that's actually supported by the evidence, I don't know, but that's the closest argument I came to explaining why people might develop these things. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Kosi, and stay away from the chalk now. Let's go to Victor in Lyndhurst. Hi. Hello, Riddhi. How are you? Fine, fine. Thank you. I'm what is your well. question to the naked yes, scientist? I'd like to ask you if the composition of red blood is the same amongst all living things, like birds, animals, and humans. Hmm, that's very interesting, I think. Hello, Victor. Yes. Um, well, well, all living things includes plants, and so plants don't have blood, obviously, but they, blood, do have yes. bl they do have vessels in the plants. They have pr phloem vessels and xylem vessels, which carry water and salts and minerals and sugars and things around the plant. So plants do have a circulatory system. But in living animals, most animals have a, a pigment a bit like our haemoglobin in humans, the red stuff that carries oxygen around. Um, some animals have a different form of that. The horseshoe crab, for example, has hemocyanin and this is a blue pigment it's a beautiful bluey green color uh, so unlike our red blood they have bluey green blood there are also some worms that live in the ocean they, these annelids and they have a pigment called hemethrin which uh, makes them the hippies of the sort of hemoglobin world because their uh, blood is a bright pink color sort of violet color fantastic so lsd blood um 
then there's sort of us and insects and things like that. And when you squash various various insects and things, you might occasionally see that they they produce a little pool of red stuff. They have what's called a hemocele, so they have a bag of fluids inside them that that is a similar molecule to our hemoglobin with iron in it, which is why it's a red colour. So different animals have the same sort of problem to solve: how to get oxygen around their bodies. They do it by having a molecule a bit like hemoglobin, but they may not have iron in their hemoglobin. They may have some copper or another salt, which is why they get these different colours, but they basically work the same way. In terms of blood groups, humans have group A, group B, group O, and then group AB, depending upon what genes you have. Uh, we don't have the same blood groups as other animals, though. Other animals do have blood groups, dogs do, sheep do, but they're not the same blood groups as our blood, and you couldn't take a, a, a series of blood cells from, say, a dog mm. and put them into a person. There would be a violent um, reaction because the cells look very different to human cells, and so the immune system would reject them, but they basically work the same way. And that brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you very much, Chris. We'll chat to you next week. Brilliant. Thanks, really. Thanks, everybody, and stand by for that tweet with Ta-ta. Algeria Man okay, coming up shortly. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.